This is episode number 166 of the High Impact Leaders Podcast, your shortcut to personal growth and career success. Hey, welcome to High Impact Leaders. I'm your host, Doug Standard of the Leaders Institute, and our goal is to help you build strong teams while growing a successful business. Last week, I covered a few meeting tips to help you run more efficient and effective meetings. On this episode, though, I'm going to give you a very, very cool group problem-solving technique that will help you and your team solve really, really challenging problems very quickly and actually with a consensus from the group on what the solution should be, which that's one of the tougher things to be able to do. But this process is phenomenal. Um, we've we've actually found using this process over the years that once the group actually comes up with the perfect solution to the problem at hand, the solution is obvious at that point. So there's really no need to persuade part of your team to want to implement the solution that happens automatically. Uh, in fact, this simple process is responsible for more of some of the biggest technological breakthroughs over the years than, than any other thing that I've ever seen. So I think you'll really like the process and get phenomenal results out of it. By the way, the episode is brought to you by leadersinstitute.com. So for leadership or team building ideas, please visit our website at www.leadersinstitute.com. And by the way, if you like the content of the podcast, make sure to leave me a review on the podcast app where you download your, your shows. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way your phone automatically downloads each episode. All right. So let's get on with today's session. So the title of the session today is on the five-step group problem-solving process. And, and if you're looking for a way to get a, a group to solve a challenging problem without coming to blows, this is a really, really, this is going to be a really, really good session for you. Uh, I'm going to cover a few effective group problem-solving techniques. And in fact, the process that we're going to cover, it's no, I call it the five-step problem-solving process, and it is incredibly effective. In fact, one of the more challenging leadership skills is getting a group to work together on a common problem. However, a group of individuals can be more creative and more productive than any single person that's working on that problem by him or himself or herself. So the key is to keep the team focused throughout the process on the problem at hand. So you also want to make sure that the, the process doesn't devolve into like a popularity contest. For instance, let's say that one of the team leaders comes up with a great solution. However, this team leader has a rival in the group who leads another team, maybe. As a result, the rival team leader offers a different solution. Well, that process can quickly change from determining a solution based on merit to one based on persuasion. And each team leader will try to win the group to his or her side. So an effective group problem-solving process should be objective. And it should also use the strengths of the entire group versus just one or two outspoken leaders of that group. So to better explain this, let me kind of give you some, some background. One of the things that you have to understand about group problem solving is that perception is reality. So all of our experiences, our successes, our failures, our beliefs, all of those things create filters of our perception. And if we perceive that facts are true based on our experience, we tend to hold on to those perceptions 
even when faced with refutable proof to the contrary. For example, let's say a kid who has absolutely no experience with dogs tries to pet a neighborhood dog at the park. The dog growls at the kid and eventually bites him. So that that child, his entire experience with dogs could create a, a perception that all dogs are mean or temperamental because every single dog that he's seen in his entire life has been mean or temperamental, right? So that single experience creates a filter or what scientists call a paradigm in the mind of that child. So this paradigm clouds the person's perception of reality. To that kid, to that person, you can try to prove that most dogs are nice and loyal, but the argument may fall on deaf ears because of that past experience. Now, we all have these perceptions, and some of them work for us in a positive way, while others are can be somewhat negative. So for instance, when you bite into a piping hot pizza and singe the roof of your mouth, you learn something. You'll, you'll most likely blow on the next bite to cool it off before you do it again. So that the point is, is that the sum of our experiences make us who we are. My experiences are totally different from, from your experiences. And as a result, my paradigms, my, my filters are totally different as well. So when you create this problem-solving process, you have to understand that everybody has these, these filters. And the more people that you can get involved in the process, the less those filters are going to hold us back from finding the, the ultimate solution. So for example, a single person trying to solve a problem is, is it, it's going to be more difficult for that person to solve the problem by himself or herself than it would be for the entire group that's working on the same problem because each person has different experiences. For instance, 20 years ago, if someone requested information from our website at the Leaders Institute, they filled out a form. The form went sent was sent uh, sent an email directly to one of our sales team and the administrative team as well. Over the years, though, we've added great apps like, like Slack and we've got a great CRM. But however, since we started out using email decades ago, it's still there as well, right? So like for instance, a, a couple of years ago, I hired a new VP of sales. And the first thing that he said was, holy cow, why am I getting a thousand emails every day? It, it was an obvious problem that we had overlooked for years because we saw it every day. We we didn't realize that that was a problem until somebody from the outside kind of looked at it and said, oh my God, that's crazy. So, so basically he had an entirely different paradigm than what we did. And the solution was obvious. You just stop sending all the stupid repetitive emails, right? We didn't need them. There was, there was no need for those anymore. So the filter, the, the paradigm that you look through depends on your perspective. For instance, let's say that you're standing in the middle of, of a field and you're next to a curved wall. And somebody asks you, is that wall convex or concave? Well, the answer is that it depends on what side of the wall that you're standing on. Both answers are correct. For instance, if you're standing on the concave side, it would be hard to convince, it would be hard for somebody to convince you anyway that that wall is convex because you're looking at it. It is there. You can see it. However, if people from each side of the wall describe it to you and you have a more clear picture of what that reality is. So uh, this is the value of group problem solving. The, the group is more likely to identify a real and unique solution because we're bypassing some of those filters that we've created for ourselves over our, our lives and our careers. So let me kind of go through the five steps in this five-step problem solving process. I'll go through them one at a time. 
keep in mind, if at any point you skip one of these steps or you you rush through it, it can really affect the solution that you come up with. So once you have that diverse team established, this five-step group problem-solving process will work really, really, really well. The key to success, though, is to make sure that you go through each one of the steps in the process. Don't skip any, because if you do, the process is going to fall apart very, very quickly. So step one, most important thing is you want to identify the specific problem and create a one-sentence description of what exactly that problem is. Now, this step sounds really easy, but it's actually one of the most difficult and most critical steps in the, in the process, because if your problem statement is too vague, then you're going to struggle with trying to come up with a valid solution or a series of valid solutions. Also, if, if the problem statement is too encompassing, then the solution might be too complex to easily implement. So for example, if we decide that the problem that we want to overcome is poor customer service, then the group is likely going to spend countless hours trying to determine first what customer service is. <laughs> and so more time will be spent coming up with every solution under the sun to try to figure out and or fix this really, really vague solution. The success of the solution would be also hard to implement. It would be hard to measure. However, if we broke customer service down into specific component parts, solutions are going to be much easier. For instance, if we want to increase the satisfaction level of our call, of our call center agents, that's much easier. Or if we want to increase repeat sales from existing customers, solutions to those specific problems are going to come much easier than the vague problem of customer service. So spend some time, a couple of minutes or so, just trying to clarify what the real problem is and make sure that the whole group knows what problem we're solving. And then we, you'll move to step two, which is what are all the possible causes? A, a common error at this point in the process is to jump right into looking for solutions to the problem. I've got this great problem. What are some possible solutions without trying to identify the root cause of that problem? So this usually results in kind of a Band-Aid solution or a solution that just treats symptoms. It, it would be kind of like reaching under your dashboard and clipping the wire to your check engine light. You know, I mean, if you do that, the light's going to go off um, and you're not going to see the light anymore. But the underlying root cause, what caused that problem to occur in the engine is still going to be there. So what you want to do is say, take some time to identify what are some of the root causes of the problem that that you're looking to solve. And your, your team will come up with solutions to these root causes much, much, much more quickly than they will the actual solution to the problem. So once you kind of say, all right, well, it's caused by A, B, C, and D. Now, what are some solutions that we can come up with to help us solve A? And then what are some potential solutions for B? And what are some potential solutions for C? If you kind of break it down that way, all of a sudden the solutions start to come a whole lot easier. So by the way, this is the step that most people skip. And, and we come up with a really good problem statement. We jump right to the solution. If you don't try to figure out what actually caused that problem in the first place, it's going to be more difficult to determine what the best solution is, by the way. All right. So once you have that, you've got a good problem statement, which is step one. Number two, now we've identified some possible causes of this problem. Step three, now we're jumping into trying to find some solutions to that. What are all of the possible solutions? Now, if you've got a nice list of possible causes, all you really have to do is state one possible cause and then ask the team, how can we fix that cause? 
So basically, you're coming up with many solutions very, very quickly. In fact, once the root causes are kind of uncovered, the solutions should start popping like popcorn. They should start very, very quickly. As soon as one team team member states a possible solution, another team member will hitchhike onto another idea. Initially, you'll get a bunch of really, really similar solutions. And if you if you see this happening, just move on to another possible cause. Have somebody there kind of recapping what you covered in step two and say, okay, what's a possible cause a solution for possible cause number two, right? If you do that, it's going to help you come up with a whole lot more ideas of potential solutions that you can you can come up with. So the most important part of this process, by the way, is to try to not prejudge any of the solutions as they come, because what you're looking for here is a quantity of ideas. That's way, way, way more important than the quality of the ideas at this point. Try to get as many ideas on the table as possible, the more the merrier. And then step four, now, once you have a bunch of potential solutions, now we want to go back and figure out which of those potential solutions are going to be the best possible solution at this time. So in this step, you want to kind of weigh the pros and cons of each of the solutions that you've determined. You know, what's the best plan of action based on what we know today? And you might find that halfway through the implement implementation process that one of the solutions might work better. It's okay to regroup and begin to implement another solution if the first best possible solution turns out to be a poorer choice after all. So don't be afraid to take risks though. Be be willing to go out on a limb and, and create a breakthrough. Um, by the way, here are a couple of easy ways to judge what solution is going to be best. One of the easiest ways to do this is to, to just look at the list of root causes that you've determined in step number two and determine which of the solutions that you've come up with fixes the most of those potential problems. In some situations, the best solution is going to be really, really obvious. In others, you might look for kind of the path of least resistance. You know, some possible solutions may be absolutely no cost, and they may, may be really, really easy. And if one of these easy solutions works, then you've just saved a lot of time and a lot of money. And if it doesn't, you just go back to your list of possible solutions and try another one. So the bigger your list of possible solutions, the better and easier it's going to be to find the best possible solution. So step number five, now this is the most critical thing when you get to this point, because it's to create an implementation plan. So most problem-solving meetings end with the when the solution is determined. All right, woohoo, we solved that big problem, right? So don't fall into this trap, though. Once the solution is decided upon, create a detailed plan of action that holds specific people accountable for implementing the idea. By doing this, you're going to ensure that the solution that you work so hard to come up with actually pays off for you and your organization. So you have to make sure that once you come up with this fantastic solution, you go and you implement that in the real world. Otherwise, you've just wasted the entire process. So if you want to tackle huge, huge, huge problems, follow the these steps. You know, first identify the specific problem that can be solved. Next, identify a few of the possible root causes of that problem. So then try to come up with a few possible solutions and then finally implement the best of those solutions. And when you do, you'll get fantastic results. All right. So thanks a lot for being a part of High Impact Leaders. We'll see you next week.